you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Talk to you for a little bit uh, from the Word of the Lord. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5 here in just a moment. But I'm going to talk to you a little bit tonight about um, shaping the culture and the future of our church. And... uh, I want to give you some ideas and some tools and some things to work with personally to understand our individual significance when it comes to what the future of Christian Life Church is going to look like. The only way that uh, the church maintains its present focus is for us to maintain our focus. Uh, if we if we begin to to allow uh, ourselves to to change in what we are individually, we begin to change the people that are looking at us and looking to us, and so we shape the culture uh, of the church. The culture of the church is shaped by the culture of our homes. Everything we do is shaping the culture of our homes. A lot of times we talk about changing the world. How many of you want to change the world? Changing the world is a lofty idea. I want to change the world too. I I really have aspirations to change the world. But in the grand scheme of things, uh, I personally will make a very small impact on the entire world. People who are affecting broad areas of the world. It requires, it requires uh, fame, money, opportunity. There's a lot of things that are required in the shaping of society and the world. And of course, the church as a whole, we are countering the culture of Hollywood. We're, count, we're countering the culture uh, of of um, of Hollywood because Hollywood has they have money they have popularity so they keep things in front of us through uh, different methods movies television uh, news media all of these things are keeping uh, they they are wearing people down they wear down your conscience they wear down your traditional views of life or biblical views and they. Uh, begin to shape the culture. And so the church is never called to fit into the culture of the world.
We're called to stand out, to come out from among them and be separate. And so we must understand that we too have a job to do. And if we focus too broadly on our job, we will utterly fail. That is that we individually decide that we're going to be uh, a lone wolf and we're going to go out and change the world on our own. We must understand the power of unity, the power of being together. And that's why as an individual I can have very little significance. But together with a group of people I can have greater influence and impact. We have more. We have more. We, we've been focusing a little bit on better together. And we talked about this a couple of Sundays ago when we launched our small groups. We've been talking about being better together. Uh, because together we, we have greater influence, greater impact. And so uh, for me to be able to, to individually have a great significant impact, it is a lot less likely than it is for me to be together uh, with a group of people. And as that group grows and our group mentality grows and the culture of that group grows, we're able to impact and affect more and more people. So we, first of all, must work on ourselves. Change begins here. Change of heart, change of attitude, change our mentalities, our, our way of thinking, uh, our way of actions. All of these things is affecting how we live. And of course, we are impacting the culture of our home. A lot of people begin to, they get frustrated with their kids. They get frustrated with their spouse, but yet they are not changing the culture of, the, of your home. Uh, culture is dictated by repeated actions. And so by repeatedly doing the same thing over and again, eventually it becomes who you are, what you are, and what you are about. How you, how you uh, operate in your day-to-day -day life. And so your home then begins to reflect, begins to be uh, impact the church. Your personal prayer life impacts this church. We have, not, I haven't gotten updated uh, information in the last few weeks, but we have a little over 300 uh, members here at Christian Life Church. We have about, uh, I don't know, 240, 250 uh, regularly that attend every week. And uh, so our personal influence is much greater because instead of looking at trying to impact six or seven billion people, we are impacting 250 or 325 people as a local church. So we, our, our actions can impact the culture of the church. And I'm going to really focus a little more tonight on impacting the culture of the church and what you do and your actions and your words and your response and your attitude, how it is influencing uh, the, the, this church as a whole. So when we, when we begin to talk about the church, a lot of people get a lot of ideas about the church, what it should be and what it shouldn't be. And um, they express their opinions uh, of the church. Here's what I have to say. If you don't like what the church is, change. I'm talking about changing churches. I'm talking about changing you. Because when you change, you affect the church. Your prayer life is affecting others. 
when it's difficult, everything that we do, when it's difficult to get people to pray, difficult to get people to worship, that attitude sets in and that becomes the culture of the church. Relax toward prayer, relax toward worship, relax toward preaching, unfaithfulness. All of these things can affect and it can become the culture, the acceptable culture of the church. I'm going to get into the word here in just a moment, but I'm laying some groundwork to what I want to, to where I want to get to tonight. So everything that we do is impacting the culture of the church. How we approach the house of God is impacting the culture of the church. What we accept today will become what is normal in our tomorrow. You okay? So everything that becomes acceptable, what we just, we, we give up. Uh, my wife is constantly, uh, take your dishes to the sink. Any moms in the house? Rinse your own plate off. Take your dishes to the sink. Would you please throw your trash away? Would you hang up your own clothes? Hello, anybody. I thought I'd have some people doing laps by now. Now, you don't have to do that. You can just relax. Just relax. Quit telling them to take their plate to the sink. Quit telling them to throw their trash away. Quit asking them to make up their bed. And what happens after about three or four or six months of that? It's acceptable. It's just what we always do. And so then when you decide, oh, I better regain this, and so then mom comes in and says, all right, boys, take your dishes to the sink. It gets, but mom, I haven't done that in six months. See, it's become the culture. It's become acceptable. It's become how your family operates. The same is true with the church. It's whatever, so everything we do, our, our attitude, our actions, our dress, our demeanor, our worship, or the lack of all of those things together is creating the culture. Whether you know it or not, Christian Life Church has its own culture. Some people like it, some people love it, some people tolerate it, and some people can't stand it. That's, that's, that's the beauty of culture. It, it is, and so... We can change culture. So there's certain things that we may do or not do. And there's certain things that we are constantly fighting as leaders, as leaders in leadership. We are constantly fighting certain things that I, I will refer to tonight as spirits. There's certain spiritual battles that are present in certain locations, certain areas, certain groups of people. And so there become certain spirits that we are constantly countering that spirit because that spirit is so prevalent in the region that in homes and on jobs and in families, it is so common that we individually, the only way we can overcome certain spirits that are prevalent in the church is that we have to attack it personally, overcome it personally. We have to combat it in our family, in our home. We have to combat it among our friends. And, and uh, am I okay tonight? There's regions of the world, regions of the country. I, uh, being raised up in the deep south, I've been part of a few different churches in my life. Um, 
I've been here part of this church for the biggest part of 30 years. The majority of my life I, I have now spent here. Um, there was a day that, that I was the new guy here. I remember, uh, I remember the first few months uh, of being part of this church uh, on Delphi Avenue and remember trying to learn the culture of the church, what was acceptable and what wasn't. Uh, I remember conversations from, that, from back then. I remember certain cultural things that, that we did back then. And I, I could talk about some of those. And if I did, some of you uh, maybe didn't even pay attention to the culture then. Uh, but some of you, I could, I could get you to remember. Um, we sang out of hymnals. We had songbooks, and we sang out of hymnals. And the culture when I came here uh, was you, you clapped your hands on the chorus, but you stopped clapping on the verse. Remember? You didn't clap your hands on the verse. You only clapped your hands during the chorus. And then when you got to the verse, you stopped clapping your hands. And if you stood during song service, you were having a move of God. Now we never sat down. See, just culture's changed. The culture of the church has changed. And so I'm going back 30 years ago and looking at, at how the, the culture of the church has changed, what certain ways of doing things. And, and so we have to be careful because we can easily allow things of the world to creep into the church in our actions, in our attitude, in our methods. All of these things are so very important that we constantly pay attention to. Now one of the things... Uh, we, we have worked very hard, and this has been an ongoing battle. This is one of the struggles. We have worked very hard at creating a culture of excellence. In a culture of excellence, good enough will never do. Anybody with me? So good enough is not good enough because we, cre we work to create a culture of excellence where everyone is striving for excellence. And in order to strive for excellence, that means that we have to go above and beyond being okay. Now, now here's the issue. Now, I may be excellent at something, but everybody else around me may not be excellent at whatever I am excellent at. And while I don't need to be part of the training or part of the work. I can stroll in on Sunday and, and perform at that excellent level because I'm gifted or talented in that area or I can work there. But the people around me need to see that although I may be gifted in that area or excellent in that area, I must, I am working toward creating a culture and that culture says that I am striving to be better. Anybody with me now? So I am constantly working to become better. It's not being better than. Now, I received the ultimate compliment the other night because I, I, I wasn't here a few weeks ago. Brother Danny preached on Sunday night. We were traveling back from Texas, and he preached a message, and we were listening online, and the church was responding. There was a big move of God, and we were watching it online, and I was like, wow. Man, they're having good church without us there. I'm looking at Annette. I'm like, you want to just go on vacation? I mean, things are going good. They had great worship, great service. He was preaching. I was proud. That makes, by the way, that doesn't make me jealous. That makes me feel good. 
makes me feel like it's okay that things can, can operate on. It does us all good sometimes to realize things can go on without me. And so I, I was listening, and he preached well. Things went good, and I came, and uh, Brother Finney came up to me, and he said, man, oh, Brother Danny, he preached excellent. I mean, he was almost as good as you. <laughs> Ultimate compliment, yeah. Brother Danny and I are not in preaching competition, but the point is, is I could say, well, because I, Brother Finney said I preach better than you, I don't need to study for next week. Believe me, you want me to study. And um, so if I want excellence in the pulpit, I have to always model excellence in the pulpit. And that means among the ministry staff and team that's around me, they have to see and know that I am studying, that I am preparing, that I am constantly reading, that I am seeking God, that I am praying, that I'm preparing my physical self for, for uh, preaching. I, uh, I never get up and say, ah, it's good enough, I'm just going to wing it. That mentality would settle in and we would have every minister and preacher in the church before long would start just being, ah, it's good enough. Now my wife gives me a hard time sometimes because she says I am my worst critic. So sometimes I feel like I don't reach or preach at the level that I wanted to preach and I go home and I feel defeated because I just didn't quite preach as good as I wanted to preach. I didn't really say it the way I wanted to say it. I meant to, I wanted to, and I'm, and I'm hard on myself. And, and my wife's always, oh, don't, don't do that. But the, but the issue is, is because I have so worked and preached and taught to this assembly that the spirit of excellence is what we're striving for, that when I feel like that I don't lead or preach or serve in some capacity in the area of excellence, I feel like I'm letting everybody that I'm leading down. Because my example, my example did not match what I'm striving for. And we have to all be careful. If not, we'll start saying, well, because, I, because I'm better than somebody else or better than everybody else in that particular talent or gift, that, that I'm okay. But we all need to be raising the bar of doing better and being more and becoming more and working harder and striving to become. <clears throat> That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to strive to become. We are affecting the culture of the church. So if we're not careful, we can set a standard, a substandard culture in the church that starts saying it really doesn't matter this little thing doesn't matter. What I do doesn't matter. And before long, it catches on. And so, so Brother Denny starts getting the same attitude. And Sister Paula starts getting the same attitude. And before long, we're just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. We, yeah, we got by. And so that starts catching on. And so then new converts come to the church. New members come to the church. And they start looking at us and start looking at our life. And they start saying, okay, that's how we do around here. Whatever. By the way, that attitude is never exemplified in the Scripture. Nowhere in the Scripture do you find or see or can find a story that the Scripture teaches us and says, 
just, just deal with life in a whatever attitude. In every way, particularly dealing with things of salvation, it says strive to enter in. Work at it. Reach for it. Try to do better. Try to go to the next level. And so I want to talk to you tonight a little bit about how we are shaping the culture. When we look at the church today, what we are doing now is shaping what we're going to be in the next year or two or three. Culture doesn't change overnight. It doesn't happen. We may have moments that it's like, wow, it seemed like that was a culture-shifting moment for us. But truly, it doesn't catch on until it becomes a habit, and then the habit becomes culture. And so we, so we can, this, let, let me break this down. And we can develop the attitude. Uh, I can drive on the grounds and see, you know, see a cup laying in the parking lot and drive by and say, hmm. Somebody left their cup, drive on by. Uh, let, let, me, let me make this clear. So for about the last four weeks, I've been driving on the grounds, and there is one of those orange cones that sets up in the north, this north part of the lot, about 15 feet off of the building, and it's been sitting out there in the parking lot, laid over on its side. And so I drive in and see it, and I'm like, it's cold or I'm busy. And so I zoom by it and drive in, and I come in and, and then I forget. And so the next time I drive in, I see that cone, and I'm like, oh, that cone. So Sunday, uh, Sunday I drove in, and I looked at my wife on Sunday morning, and I said, that cone has been laying in this parking lot for about three weeks. It is driving me insane. And that says, man, look at all the grass. Look at the green and the trees. And I said, the cone. Did you see the cone? It's laid over in the parking lot and nobody's moved it. And she says, oh, the trees are budding. The cone, it's out of place. I drove in. She said, well, just stop and let me go move the cone. And I said, you're not moving the cone. So I drove her up under. She got out and she walked in. I forgot about the cone. I drove in Sunday night. My wife was with me. We pulled in. I come zoom and made my right turn to come and swerve left. And I said, the cone. Nobody moved the cone. The cone's laying over in the north parking lot. And she said, babe, stop. I will move the cone. I said, nope, I'm not. I am not moving the cone. I am leaving that cone there until somebody else sees that cone and sees the need to move it. Drove up and I pulled under and she came in and I walked in and I forgot about the cone. Monday, I came up to the church. I pulled into the parking lot and the cone. And my wife was with me and I pulled over and I needed to set some things over in the north building. And so I got out and I lost my wife. Where did she go? And in a minute, here she comes walking, carrying the cone. And I said, I told you not to move that cone. She said, I'm moving the cone. I'm tired of hearing you complain about the cone. I'm moving the cone. Where does the cone go? I said, just put it right over there. And so she put the cone away. But my point is, whether it's a cone or whether it's a piece of trash or a cup or whatever, we can, that quick, we can develop an attitude about the facilities God's blessed us with, 
about our grounds, about appearance, about what's acceptable, that we can very quickly shape the culture of saying, ah, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. So I, the point is, is we cannot blame others about the what, what the church is if we are not count, countering the culture that has been considered acceptable. And so we have to counter the culture. And we are developing culture in everything we do. Matthew chapter 5, I want to get you in the scripture. I know I've already gone a long time. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 13 says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Meaning if the salt stops being salty, how's it going to affect anything? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Let, let, let me talk about this. It's talking about our Christian life. We are the salt. We are the change agent. Salt affects everything it comes in contact with. And there's a point where salt loses its savor. It's no longer functioning and good for anything but just to salt the ground. And that, that's all that it's good for at that point. And, and there it, it still makes impact, but its usefulness is not as great as what it should be. I want you to get this tonight. You are. I want you to take, take your finger and just, just poke yourself right here and say, I am. I am the change agent for this church and even for this community. The truth is, as any one of us may say, well, boy, we're gonna I'm going to change this city. Doubtful that any one of us has the power, authority, or control to change this city or the money. If you do, you're holding out on the church. But we can affect, together, we can affect the church which changes. And then together, as a movement, we can then begin to affect a city and a region. Anybody with me? So we can begin to affect everything around us. And so the, the culture of the church, when our families come to church, if we're struggling, and we, we come to church, there ought to be an environment of the church that says, this is what my family is, or this is what my family's becoming. That's why it's important for us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. If we do, before long, the culture of our home begins to become the acceptable culture and the church has less influence and impact. And so you, you, that individual, as an individual, you are the salt of the earth. It goes on in verse 14 and says, you are the light of the world. Darkness doesn't affect light. Light affects darkness. A city that is set on a hill. That's what we are. We are to be different. We are, as a church, as a body, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill. In other words, this, this community ought to look to CLC and say, I know where to go when I need prayer. I need to go, I, need, I know where to go when I, when I have a need. So I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be known it's, it's important culturally as a church what we are known for. We have a great music program. I thank God for that. But I'm not interested in being known as the music church. doesn't impress me. I don't think it impresses anybody or impresses God. I thank God for a great music program. I want to be known. This house should be called the house of prayer. 
So this ought to be a place where people come. I received a phone call a couple of days ago. Someone called. Someone contacted me through social media and uh, from, from a thousand miles away and asked me specifically to pray for their uncle, whom I don't know, and told me their uncle had leukemia, asked me to pray. And I, I actually forgot to respond, and so a couple of days went by, and I'm like, ooh, I forgot to respond to that. And so I, I, I went on Facebook Messenger, which sometimes I, 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 don't, I don't look at that every day. And so I, I, went, I remembered, and so I went back and got on and said, absolutely, I will pray. Um, what's the name? Let me, let me make sure I get all this information in order. And I said, I will pray, and I did, and I prayed for them. And so yesterday I received a phone call, and, uh, and my dad called me, and he said, hey, do you remember Lisa? I said, yeah, I remember Lisa. And he said, Lisa called. She actually is a distant relative that I was never really close to. Uh, dad said, she, she called me and uh, came over and said she came in, and she was so stirred. And she said her, her uncle was declining and was in horrible shape was decline, declining in stage 4 leukemia and she reached out to you for prayer and she said a couple days later you responded and said the very next day there was a change in her uncle and he started doing better and said she was beside herself because God answered your prayer and he laughed and he said she said and this is how some unchurched people look, look at things she said I don't know but I think he could walk on water I said, hold on, Dad, I need you to talk to my wife. It's not about me receiving glory, it's about him receiving glory. But my point is, people in our community, we had a guest here a few weeks ago, I didn't make a big deal about it. We had a guest a few weeks ago, came in, sit right over on the side on a Sunday morning. But they came because he was having surgery that week. And every time a member of that family starts having something serious go on, they miss their denominational church, and they come here and ask us to pray. There may be a reason for that. That is, a, well, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. That is the kind of culture that I want CLC to be known by. We should be the city on a hill where people come to receive miracles, come to feel the presence of God. So we are shaping culture in everything that we do. So every time that you tell the story of Sister Robin's miracle, every time you share a testimony about you being sick and God healing you, you are shaping culture of CLC. And the same is true. Every time that you find fault, every time that you, you're shaping culture. You're shaping culture because the people that you are influencing and impacting began to see it. There, there, was, a, there was a member, no longer a member here, but a member of this church for a while. And uh, I noticed, and literally, literally, and our staff, we actually talked about it, uh, literally every person, this person was like poison. They were like a cancer. Every person that they connected with, they affected negatively. And almost every one of them ended up leaving church and most of them backslidden. Now, that's, that's a pretty powerful influence, but the truth is, is it may not be the person with the influence, but there is a spirit of evil that is influential. So we must be careful and we must know 
that everything that we are doing, our testimony, how we be careful of what you share or what you like or what you agree with on social media. We, we have to be careful because people are reading it and reading into it. Can I get an amen? Some, sometimes we don't even mean certain things, but it looks like that. We need to be careful of how we are, because we are shaping culture. We're shaping how people view the church, view God. Do you know what the world, the, the lost world that know you, do you know how they see the church? However they see you. The way they view you is how they view the church. So we are creating culture. Everything that you do is training people that you are influencing. And everybody is influencing somebody. You, you'll never know the influence. When I look back at my life as a teenager and uh, as, as a child and a teenager, young adult, I, I go back and many of them now are passed on. But some of the elderly men, they weren't preachers, they weren't necessarily my Sunday school teachers, but some of the people that influenced me the most were some of the men that prayed with me in the altar. Elders that prayed with me. I remember elderly men. I could call their names. I could see their faces and remember their, them praying for me, coming to the altar, laying hands on me, tarrying with me in the altar. There's other people there, but they always made it a point to come and spend time. Those people influenced my life more. See, you may think that the only way you can influence is to stand in the pulpit or to sing a solo or to lead something or lead a... You, you, you are affecting people in all of those ways, but you can impact people and shape the culture of, of their life and their future by your prayer life. I said something the other day, and I don't want to give her the big head, and I know I'm not going to, but Sister Paula, we called, I called three days of prayer. Sister Paula was here at this church more than anybody I know. I was here one day, and I, I was over on this side, and she came in, and, and, and she didn't just come in for a few minutes watching the clock, but she came in praying. Her, her prayers are impacting, and, and the, the issue with prayer is that even things that we cannot see, it is, it is what is happening in the spirit realm. Because of our prayer. And so everything we do is shaping culture. The people that are around us, our family members, the people that are watching us, children, young people, new members that, are, that come into the church. So everything that we're doing. So we, we truly will not be able to complain two to three years from now with what the church is. If we are not being proactive about affecting that. So every ministry leader. Call your people to excellence. Call your people. Hold them accountable. It's all right. We are a church that is striving for excellence. Hold them accountable. Strive for excellence. Reach for that. Help them. I'm not talking about being offensive and hurtful. That's a, But our actions are creating a culture for our future. Now ask yourself, am I responding the way that I want the church to be two to four years from now? Ask yourself that. Is my participation, my worship, my giving, my attitude toward the things of God, my respect for authority, for ministry, my involvement in ministries and small groups, is this what I want the church to be? If, if I summarize my life, is this what I want the church to be? 
We can't lay that burden on somebody else because we're not, we're, we're not a church of thousands and tens of thousands. We're not a mega church. We are a relatively, in the grand scheme of things, a relatively small church. And we, we, every person is important and impacting the culture of the church. So leadership, leadership in particularly. So let me speak to heads of household. Let me speak to small group leaders. Let me speak to leadership in the church. Let me speak to, to team leaders. Leadership must always be ahead of everybody else. That means you ought to be praying more, studying more. How, you cannot lead where you have not been. If you have not been there, you cannot lead there. So you, you cannot lead. And if the blind lead the blind. Oh, Lord, have mercy. You lead, and they will follow. In, in Lebanon, when we were in the karate dojo, how many of you ever visited the karate dojo? You were there in the karate dojo, and you remember seeing it. There was uh, the famous mirror in the karate dojo. It made pictures look great. We could have 14, and it looked like we had 28. It was a big mirror. And so, and if you got just right with a camera, that mirror, there's another mirror. You could take a picture into a mirror that reflected out of another mirror, and you could duplicate that thing. Man, it's like we had 93 today, and there was nine. The Lebanon mirror, but the issue is, is mirrors don't lie. I, we were in service, and I'm there, and we're worshiping, and everybody's singing and worshiping, and I'd look over the mirror, and I'm like, who's that fat man? Oh, my goodness. I, I kept seeing myself in the mirror. I keep. I kept looking. I'd try to get, try to, it was distracting. I'm, I'm in there trying to worship, and I started recognizing the expressions on my face or lack thereof. I'm sitting down on the pew, preacher's preaching. And the mirror's speaking to me. And I'm like, my goodness, this is what people have to look at? Annette, i got to lose weight and get in shape. Those poor people look at me when I'm preaching. We're shaping the culture. There, there are no off days when you're a leader. You can't take a break from being a parent, from being the spiritual authority in your home. From, you can't take a break. There are no days off. We are either we are either leading or backsliding, one of the two, in everything that we do. So we can't decide, all right, it's vacation week. Anything goes. Let down the standards. Don't hold holiness. Don't. Hello, somebody. There are no off days. We are developing culture. We are, we are saying this is not just what we do, but this is who we are. Anybody with me tonight? Culture says this is not what we do, but this is who we are. Boy, didn't we worship tonight? Then let's do it next service and the next service because worship ought to not be what we do, but who we are. Everything that we do, we are developing culture. It is not what we are doing, but who we are becoming. The preparedness of our ministries. I stand over on 
over on the side during worship, look up Sunday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, I looked up, saw these, first I saw this big group of children that came up, and then the big group of, of young people that came up, and then up comes a choir, at least part of our choir, and our praise team, and I'm looking and I'm like, my goodness, we have come a long way from where we used to be. And I'm looking at leaders and leadership, and I, I, I'll, I'll give honor where honor is due. I had this conversation with Sister Cheryl this week, and she, she's always humble about it, and I tell her she's a great teacher, and she says, I'm not nearly as good a teacher as you think I am. I lose patience and all that sort of thing. And I said, well, I know you, but you're working with Danny. And I look out here, and I see students. Sister Olivia, is she's like a, is she a senior this year? High school, she's in high school. She's in high school. We've got a high school student that is using her gifts and talents teaching the younger students. What a culture to create! What a culture to create! And so, these children, so I started hearing from people, and, and, and these are some of the things I heard. Man, these kids, they loved singing, and they, they, want, they want opportunity. They are ready to sing. They are ready. And, and you know what? We get, we, we get what, we, what, we, uh, what we compliment, we, what we encourage, what we celebrate. And so I saw some of these young students, some of these that are, you know, six, seven years old, and I tried to make sure that I made my way by when I saw them after service, and I said, man, you were awesome, and they're just lighting up. You know why? Because I want to create a culture of worship from this young age that when they get a little older, they're not intimidated to worship God, to stand and lead and sing. And so our, our, the preparedness of ministry is so very important. Everything that you're doing is developing culture, the culture of excellence, the, the culture of worship. And I know I've hit some of these over and over again, and I'll try not to be too much longer because I don't want you to get weary with what I'm teaching tonight. But the culture of worship, we, we you are, you are the light. And the thing about worship is if, if, if Sister Cindy starts really worshiping, it's doubtful that Dan and Paula can sit next to her without going, okay. Because worship catches on. It, it, worship is one of the easiest cultures to change in a church. We can become a dead, dry church in six months if we allow it to happen. We, this church, the culture of this church and our worship can change in a heartbeat. We can stop praying, stop fasting, start sitting on our hands, stop calling people. Oh, I know, I hear, I've heard the complaints from, oh, why do they ask us to clap? Why do they ask us to lift our hands? Because you aren't, and we're working on a culture. We're trying to create a culture where we don't have to say, lift your hands, clap your hands. We are working for a culture where people come in and celebrate the presence of God. Where people feel freedom to worship.
our response to preaching. This church is responding. I preached out a few weeks ago, and uh, and I've uh, recently have had a few invitations to preach out, and I'm trying to take a few opportunities. You're in good hands, brother Danny does a great job, brother Brandon, others that have helped uh, in in our absence, and I'm trying to take a few of those opportunities. It's good for you. It's good for me, and 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 above all, it makes me thankful to get to come back home. When you get out and visit a little bit, sometimes you come back and go, well, I thank God for what we have at home. I thank God that we have a church that magnifies preaching. Because sometimes I'm not preaching too good, but you're still out there clapping your hands and worshiping because we are creating a culture that says preaching is important. We need the preach word. Pastor may be, he may be struggling tonight, but God's still good. Keep preaching, Pastor. In a minute, you're going to get there. So everything that we're doing, everything we're doing, our involvement, our response to the altar, there's some things we need to guard against. We need to, we need to guard against our response to the altar, we need, to, we need to guard against a mechanical response to the altar. Can I talk to you now? Everybody all right? Say, I'm the salt. We need to be careful about a mechanical response to the altar, which means we walk forward and we look around and we look at everybody that's up there and wonder, well, is there anybody that's going to respond tonight? We need to create an atmosphere in the altar to where everybody engages. Everybody engages. Listen for direction. If I see that there's people that need to be prayed for, believe me, I'll be really quickly to give you some cues and say, hey, somebody lay hands on this person. Somebody go over and pray with them. Or we'll just lead by example by walking over and starting to pray with somebody and pulling a group of people in. But, but our response at altar needs to be more than just coming up front and standing and looking around. We need to come forward and understand that everything we've done in the service is leading to one point. The altar call is not pre-dismissal. Can I say it again? The altar call is not pre-dismissal. We magnify preaching, but when altar call comes, it's kind of time, hey, Bo, how's it going? Hey. But when altar call comes... That's the crescendo. That's where people are going to break through in the Holy Ghost. That's where people are going to make decisions to be baptized, where people are going to pray through and receive the Holy Ghost. And so, CLC, we need to step up our response. Are you okay? Am I okay with you? I'm talking about culture here, creating a culture. We need a culture shift in our altar calls. We do real good during our season of prayer and fasting where we come forward and everybody's praying and worshiping. And then if we're not careful, we'll move right back into our come, stand, look, watch, wait, and go home. But we are creating that everybody is part of that by our lack of thinking before I come forward, I'm going to have a predisposition. When I come forward for altar, I am not going forward standing around looking and waiting to see if somebody's going to get blessed or somebody's going to pray. But I'm going to come forward for me first. I come forward, begin to worship, begin to seek God, begin to pray. And if everybody begins to do that, before long it'll catch on. But when that guest, that person that was uncomfortable walking forward, if they walk forward and see everybody just standing, they walk forward and just stand. Because this must be what we do here. 
But when they see people praying and seeking God, they're like, okay, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. They begin to pray and seek God. It opens the door then for ministry to step up and begin to pray with them and lead them. And then some who were maybe, can I use the term, seeding the altar? Is that all right? Some of us are seeding the altar, meaning we are responding because we know some people that are here that need the Holy Ghost. And so I'm responding in advance because I want to lead somebody by example. And so I'm creating a culture that it is all right to come forward. It's comfortable to come forward. I'm going to come. And then once people begin to pray and seek God, then we move and begin to minister to others. Well, I was doing much better before I got on this. You're in a lot more agreement with me. You okay? So there's several ways that we shape the culture of the church. Give me about seven or eight more minutes and I'll wrap up. Our words, how we speak of the church, is developing the culture of our church. We can either choose to downplay and, and well, you know, yeah, we had church, or we can accentuate the positive. It's up to us, but we're creating culture by our words. Our words can wound or our words can heal. One of the greatest powers that we hold is the power of our words. Proverbs 25 and 11 says that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. We can be a witness by that. By our walk, our testimony. You know what your real testimony is? It's not what you say. It's what people see in your life. It's what they see in you. And what they are saying by what you see. We need people to see God in us. We want them to see what we are doing. That's why it's very, very, very important for us to not say, well, it doesn't really matter what people think about me. You know, uh, Brother Danny, he says, I, I can almost preach as good as pastor, so it doesn't really matter what people think. It does matter. It does matter. It matters what they see in his daily walk, in his attitude, in his actions. In whatever I do, I want to be the best at whatever I'm doing. Well, somebody else may be better at it, but boy, I'm going to try my hardest. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to, I'm going to play my part. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. If I'm greeting at the door, I want to be the best at it. I think it's okay for me to share this. Cheryl shared a little story with me about... about Aiden the other day, Sister Paula was coming to the door of the church and the door was locked and we were sitting in and Aiden saw Sister Paula walking across the front and coming to the door of the church and uh, he jumped up and came running through, grabbed the door, ran up to the door, gets to the door, opens the door and Sister Paula steps in and he acted like I've been standing here waiting for you. And he opened the door, and Sister Paula came in and said, Well, thank you, Aiden. And she walked on in. Aiden came back in, but his mom noticed something, that he literally, it was so important to him to be able to open that door, which was just opening a door. But he wanted to do it with excellence, and he came, and he ran, but he didn't want to see her sweaty. So when he got there, he stopped, straightened up. I've been waiting on you. In everything that we do, our, our, we, we are setting, we are creating, we are teaching, we are teaching. By our works, how we, 
how our, our works is speaking, what people see in us. Our lives can demonstrate the power of God or can bring destruction to others. Our works bring glory to God or bring shame. Number four, I've already talked about through our worship. Number five, and I want to close with this one, how we deal with wounds. You okay? I'm going to wrap it up with this one. I've got more to go, but I'll pick it up on another night. How we deal with wounds. This is so very important. We must be cautious of how we deal with wounds. The old saying is true, wounded people wound. Hurt people hurt. So we have to be cautious of how we deal with wounds, and particularly in a culture of a church, a church particularly that is helping people and reaching to people that come hurt and, and, and offended and, and in need of God and come from broken relationships. Be careful, be careful, be careful what you say, how you act, what you post on social media, all of these things, how we deal with wounds. Because if we're not careful in an attempt to make Brother Pastor feel better, we can hurt Brother Danny. Thankfully, he was strong enough and tough enough and knows Brother Finney well enough that he was okay with a backhanded compliment as you were almost as good as Pastor. We have to be careful or we'll wound others. In my attempt to help Brother Dan, I'll hurt Sister Cindy. And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful in how we deal with wounds. Things happen to us in this life. Wounds are going to come. Our attitude impacts others. It impacts your future. It often defines your success in life or your failure. God cannot entrust leadership, positionings, and anointing on those that cannot control their attitude. When things don't go the way you think it ought to, and you throw a temper tantrum, a hissy fit, or any other words that you want to apply, and then you think everybody ought to be all hunky-dory, well, you affected people. You affected people. They saw your light. They saw your light. And that new convert saw your light. They saw how you acted when you didn't win the game. They saw how you acted when somebody didn't act the way you wanted. They saw how you act when you didn't get the solo. Am I okay? And your attitude doesn't run on automatic. You have to stay in charge. We are in charge of our attitude and our spirit. The spirit, Proverbs 20 and 27, the spirit or attitude of a man is the candle of the Lord. Search in the inward parts. I can tell you a lot about what's going on inside a person by the attitude. Because it's what the Bible said. That attitude is searching the spirit of the heart. Many people think their attitude is excused or exempt because of what happens to them, what they've been through. We are in charge. We are in charge. God chooses what we go through. We choose how we go through it. And sometimes how we go through it was the test and the purpose of the test all along. God's wanting to know how we are going to handle it because our attitude affects 
everything. And, and our attitude is setting a, an, an, a culture of attitude. When people hear us complaining and whining, discontent, unhappy, that can very quickly become the attitude of the church. But when we speak faith and confidence in God, and when we're weary and we're tired, we don't come in bummed out, but we come in and say, man, help me. I'm going to worship tonight. I may not be feeling good, but God's still good. People of God's still good. Because we are, we are impacting the culture of the church, and the future of our church is depending on us today, everything that we're doing. I've got about three times the amount of notes that I preached to you tonight and talked to you tonight. I want us to stand. I want us to pray before we leave tonight. And I want us to pray that God would impact us, our hearts, with what I've spoken about. And deeper than what my words were tonight, that the Spirit of God would speak into our lives in a real way that we would recognize what the Spirit is wanting to say to the church tonight. Would you join with me in prayer right now? Lord, we come right now to you knowing God, that we need you in all things. God, we, are, we have not arrived. We are not where, we are not everything. We're not, God, we're, we're nothing without you. God, we need you. I pray now, God, that you impact us with your word. That, God, the words I've spoken tonight and where I've come short, that your spirit still speaks to us. Oh, Lord, help us tonight, God. Help us to become what you're wanting us to become. Lord, that we look into the future and recognize that we want to be more apostolic in the next two to three years than we've ever been. We want to be a holy church, a righteous church, a praying church, a worshiping church, a preaching church. God, we want to be a humble church, a church that honors you in all things. We want to be a giving church. We want to be a righteous church. God, help us to be what you would have us to be.